Hello Gems! Welcome to another episode of TRs in Tech. I'm your host, Shelly Benhoff, and today I'm talking to Aditi Ravishandran, and she is a Pluralsight author and speaker. We talked about her experience with mobile apps and React Native, how she became a Pluralsight author, and her musical talent. I have so many guests that are into music. Without further ado, on to the episode. Hey, Deethi, welcome to the show. Thank you so, so much for being here. Hi, Shelly. It's nice to talk to you. Finally get to see you, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's why I love this show, because I can, like, talk to my friends and, like, meet people that I've talked to online a whole lot. Yeah. It's so fun. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so let's jump right in and have you tell us how uh, <laughs> you got started in tech. Uh, I got started in tech when I was very little, so maybe when I was in fourth grade. Um, there was a, a program in the city I grew up in, which is Chennai in India, and it was called the IT Kids. So it was like this new, you know, coaching class. Um, so my dad enrolled me in there. So that was my very first experience into, you know, computers and what's going on. So we were just playing, you know, little games and the programming language at that time they taught me was Logo. Um, it's a really outdated one. There's basically like a turtle and you have to write code to move that turtle on the screen. So this I is really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that was my first encounter uh, into programming. And my school was pretty good with, you know, introducing children to programming at that time. So maybe in fifth or sixth grade, we started learning like basic and visual basic and things like that. So that was my first, you know, um, introduction, I would say, to like the world of computers. But my real interest probably came when I was probably in high school, um, when I started learning like C++ and Java. And these were mandatory courses at the time in our school. So a lot of kids did not like it. Um, so I was like, hmm, this is fun. I like it. So I used to teach a lot of my friends like C++ and Java and help them out during exams. And they were like waiting to be done with it. And I was like, hmm, I don't feel the same way as you guys. I, I actually enjoy this. So I went on to take computer science engineering in college um, and, and then moved on to take master's. So it's been a long journey. I've always liked computer science since I was a kid. I yeah. love that. Yeah, same. You know, yeah, great. Yeah, I I started when I was about ten, probably. Yeah, I forgot about logo. That like, <laughs> yeah. you said the turtle, and you had to make the turtle move. I was like, woof! Like all these memories came back. I haven't talked about that in ages, but yes, yeah, I logo totally was remember. My, like, <laughs> the one thing I remember the most because you know, I was like, I enjoy doing that. I was like, hey, cool! I see turtles moving. Exactly. Yeah. It's this feeling of like accomplishment whenever yeah. something happens on the screen that you programmed. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So let's talk about Pluralsight. You are an author and I know how hard that journey is myself. So yes. can you tell us how you uh, started at Pluralsight? Um, so I've always had, you know, I always enjoyed teaching, even as a child, that was something I, I used to pretend play and things like that. And then when I came to do my master's at the University of Kansas, I, I ended up becoming a teaching assistant. So I really enjoyed that experience. And then I started doing part-time lecturing while I was doing my 
regular day job uh, as a software engineer. I, I was doing lecturing at the University of Kansas and I was really enjoying all this stuff, but I, I realized I could reach a broader audience and a lot more people if it was just outside, you know, just that one classroom with 20 students. Uh, but I didn't think about much on what, what I could do. I came across Pluralsight um, when I was at a conference and I was speaking. And I think Pluralsight, uh, some team members from Pluralsight were at the booth. So I introduced myself to them and I, I invited them to my talk. So they came to the talk and they're like, okay, you should audition with Pluralsight. And that's, that's how my journey began. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That's so cool. I've actually never heard of that before. <laughs> Most okay. people are just like, you know, I'll, I'll apply, not at yes. a conference or, or anything. Right. Yeah, I've, but I've that's watched awesome. plenty of Pluralsight courses and oh, there yeah. were a lot of these authors who, you know, I would think of them as mentors, even if I personally didn't know them. I was like, this is awesome. I want to, you know, do that someday. And it was a great opportunity for me. When I saw them at the booth, I was like, I think you guys, you know, should stop by at my talk. And I think that's that's how it happened. It, it was a few years ago, and I then I gave a, a you know formal audition, and that went on. And yep, yeah, it's been a it's been a great journey because I could reach a lot more students through plural site than I could have through a traditional class. Absolutely, yeah. Let's talk about the audition process. That's actually something that I I haven't talked about. Um, we are all told. Uh, probably at the start of our audition that they only accept about 10% of people. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> how did you stand out? I guess. I think a lot of my um, strength comes from the passion for teaching. Mm -hmm. um, so plural site at that time during the audition, or I'm sure even now doesn't care about like your editing skills or how you're operating the software or any of that. Cause or your quality of your mic and things like that. All of that can be fixed. Um, for the audition, they mostly cared about your style of teaching and how you deliver that content to a student. Um, let's say you want to describe an apple to somebody. How do you describe an apple to somebody who's never seen an apple or tasted an apple? Um, so the, 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 the way to stand out is to be a good teacher. That, that's what um, I think helped me. Absolutely. And get to the point, you yes. know, yeah. you watch these, um, I have watched so many, um, tutorials in like a ton of places. And the one thing that people do, and it's clear, they don't practice first. Yes. And so errors happen and stuff. We don't leave that into our materials, like yes. everything works. Yeah. And so, um, and it's, polished and high quality. But again, yeah, like editing skills, I didn't have any either. Yeah, I didn't either. And yeah. Yeah. It it can be taught. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the easy way to think of it is like, let's say we're talking about a concept and we have to see who our audience is going to be. If you're talking about an advanced concept, then your title of your course is going to say, you know, React Advanced. Then you go straight to the point. You're assuming they know all of these prerequisites and teach them advanced topics, you know. But if somebody's like brand new, they don't know, they're doing a boot camp, you know, then you're going to teach them the basics. You're going to start from HTML and JavaScript and CSS. So it's just, as long as you know your audience and keep it, keep it crisp, that really matters. Exactly. Yeah. So 
let's talk about your topics are mainly, well, like me, all over the place, kind of. I teach like management and then I teach Sitecore and then I teach Docker, you know, so okay. it's like all over the place. But I saw mainly uh, React and Cypress, which actually I don't know anything about. Okay. <laughs> you can explain at a high level. Yeah. So I got into React Native, which is actually for mobile applications. It uses React. Um, this was a few years ago when I joined a local startup here in Kansas City, and we were building healthcare applications. And at that time, we had only like few engineers, and we were wondering what tech stack to pick. And they picked React Native, which is very friendly for smallest companies who have, you know, a smaller budget. So it builds cross-platform native applications for iOS and Android, and you just have one code base. So you don't need to hire Android developers and iOS developers, and you can still get your product rolling. And it's all written in React and JavaScript. So for web developers, it's pretty easy to get on to React Native. So I worked on that for like about four years, and I was really interested in it. And that was the time when I auditioned for Pluralsight. I started making these courses, also speaking. So React Native is where I, you know, started my career, where I started talking in public and doing these courses. Before that, I was doing Java and C++ in a completely different environment. So, yes, yeah, so that's what React Native is. It's very popular. It's open sourced by uh, Facebook, now called Meta. Um, and eventually, I also got into GraphQL, which is to basically an alternative to REST and also Cypress, uh, which has been something I've really liked and enjoyed using the last couple of years is a testing, end-to-end -end testing framework for web applications. What it does is it's, it automates all of your tests. So you don't have to go through the manual QA process. Instead, you write tests in JavaScript and they would run all these automatic end-to-end -end tests. It would go through the screen, just like a user's clicking on these buttons. It's kind of an alternative to Selenium, if you're uh, familiar with that. So all of this is in the JavaScript tech space and React uh, is also my favorite framework. So yeah, they have been around React, React Native, Cypress, GraphQL. That's a lot. <laughs> They're somehow yeah. connected. GraphQL, not so much, but right. Cypress is also entirely written in JavaScript. So I would, I would build a React application and then end-to-end -end test it with Cypress. Great. Yeah. yeah. I, I always tell people, like, people always ask me, how do you know so many programming languages? Because I, I learn stuff that is um, related to other stuff. Yes. And it just kind of snowballs from there. Yes. And web dev, I have learned, you know, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and just Angular and C Sharp and right. .NET Core, you know, That's stuff a lot like of that. Stuff too. <laughs> yeah. And that journey led me to Docker as well. And then after that, I started to learn Unity game development because that's written in C Sharp. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> you know, so everything is like um, related. And yeah. so it's easier to learn if you kind of know how the other one worked yeah. and, you know, yeah, that's what I love. That's, that's I love to awesome. tinker. Yeah. Cause <laughs> even with React Native, I started as a React Native developer and that's all mobile development, but React Native uses React, which you can use for web development. 
Um, and then once you do web applications with React, you want to figure out what's the best way to fetch data. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try GraphQL. And then now I have all this ready. How do I test it? And there's like tools like Cypress and so on. So yes, they're all connected. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how like previously in web dev, like the content on a page used to come out of a like backend process. Yes. But now we've switched. Yep. And it's the opposite. The backend just exposes anything, you know, and the front end code is where the logic happens. And I think that that's so cool. Yeah. A lot has changed. All of these frameworks and tools that, you know, support them have really grown over the years. So there's a lot of, we don't need to do a lot of hard work thinking about these because they are already in, created for you. You have the tool set ready and you just utilize them. I don't need to go reinvent the wheel and how to render this. It's, it's already, it's, somebody's already thought about it. Go get this framework or this tool. So yeah, it's, it's great. It's actually a yeah. great time to be a developer because it is. <laughs> you have great developer tools. It's, you know, you go into your ID and start typing. It's going to help you suggest to you what to do. And yeah. th there's a lot, a lot of heavy lifting done by the tools and Google. So you can focus on just what needs to be done, you know. Exactly. I talk a lot about how in the start of programming and, and tech, I started at a time there was no Stack Overflow. There was no IntelliSense right. that helped you inside of the IDE. Yeah. So it's come along. Y'all have it good now. <laughs> it's, it's really come a long way. And even when I was in college, you know, we didn't have these kind of IDEs. Sometimes we even wrote code in paper for our examinations. And it, it, you, you just like, you know, blank out. You're like, I, I can't remember what to write. So it's definitely exactly. changed. Yeah. <laughs> for the good. Yeah. 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 It's um, a lot uh, simpler. Yeah. Yeah. To like write code. Absolutely. I was, I was actually watching a show and the programmers were writing code on paper yeah. and then feeding them into the machine. That's how people <laughs> used to program, yeah. you know, at the start, because not everybody had their own machine. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine how hard that yeah, was. It's definitely you know? much easier for somebody becoming a software developer today and working. It's, they have everything they need. They just need to have their, yeah. you know, fundamentals and get going. Yeah, for sure. So let's switch to your other topics. I saw a great, great course on cultural intelligence, which is actually a topic that is part of a course I'm on, but it's like a, a small part. I just love how there's a whole course on it. Can you um, talk about... Uh, what that is. Sure. So culture intelligence is basically being aware of different cultures in the world. And we work with people, you know, in global teams. And I, I currently work with a team in Ireland and they have members from different parts of the world. So our day-to-day -day life is not restricted to just the community around us or the people who live around us. We work globally with companies. So having cultural intelligence basically means understanding at least the basics of different cultures 
at the same time, not making stereotypes because people can be outliers within a culture too. But having a basic understanding helps those communication, you know, steer forward and you don't have a lot of misunderstanding at your work environment. That way you can steer forward with work. Um, and the reason why this topic is really close to me is I come from India and I moved to the United States when I was 21. And I had, you know, different cultural experiences. I came, I came and I was like, okay, I, this is a whole different culture for me because I grew up in India and I'd never visited another country until I came here. And to add more complexity to my life, I married a Sri Lankan, which is a different country. And it's a neighboring country. We, they look like Indians, but they're not Indians. They're very different. Um, it's different, you know, uh, language, different religion. So I deal with cultural, you know, different cultural elements every day in my life because now we're raising our daughter and she is American, born to an Indian and a Sri Lankan. So culture is like a really favorite topic for even my husband and I to talk about. Often we discuss how different our cultures are, yet there's a lot of similarities and how we're living in a completely different culture, how we've adapted over the years. So all of this really like it's so close to me and my everyday life that I ended up creating that course, uh, culture intelligence uh, for plural side. So basically talks about different cultures, some of, the, uh, you know, some of the key differences between cultures and how we can work, work through that in work environments. Yeah, absolutely. That is such a great topic. It really and, is. And so important. I mean, in tech, Absolutely. You, know, you work with people all over the world yeah. because you can, because you're just online. People always ask me, how do you like work from home? I've worked from home since 2011. Okay. And yeah, I've, I've worked with people from the UK, from, you know, Russia, from um, China. <laughs> I've traveled to China because of that. Yeah. It's, so eye-opening to know about other cultures Absolutely. and it is the personal journey of my life yeah. honestly that, that's amazing because yeah. you know our perspectives widen things change um you may think somebody's rude but they weren't rude they were just following their cultural norm of you know yeah. a certain body gesture or hand gesture or being quiet you know yeah. And, and the funny thing is people like me who came when I was 21 have now become more Americanized. So even for me now, I'm like really confused, you know, where, where do I lie in the spectrum? Sometimes that can happen too. Cause when I go back to India, I, I, I am now looked as a little bit different because I'm not the same as what I was. Um, and I've changed. So cultures evolve, our personal definition of cultures evolve where we fit in that spectrum evolved too. So yeah, it's definitely part yeah. of my personal journey as well. Absolutely. And I would highly suggest to anybody to travel to another country. What other country? Like it doesn't matter Absolutely. and just experience people who aren't like you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. And like take inspiration from Absolutely. that. Every time I traveled, I took the most inspiration from the food. <laughs> yes. The food's different. The languages are different. Everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And everyone should experience being in a country and not speaking the language. Absolutely. And then seeing people in this country who also struggle with that and having that like empathy. Oh, I've been there. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I haven't experienced yeah. 
that specific part, but India itself has so many languages. So if you go from mm -hmm. one state to another, you are lost because they'll be speaking a different language and the script for those languages are also different. So sometimes either English or a popular language called Hindi is a binding language. So I've been in places where I've been lost, but it's still within India. It's, it's so diverse. So that can happen. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, I have tried to learn Hindi. I have learned Japanese. I could not get Hindi. <laughs> like it, the, I, I think that the logic was so different, but I have to try because I work with so many people from India, like half of them probably. Sure. And I would really like to greet them in Hindi and just, you know, make them feel like I care yeah. about their culture. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Learning the language <laughs> is very hard. I've tried learning my husband's language, which is Sinhalese. And I mm -hmm. gave up very quickly. I was like, this is hard. I'm not doing this. I, I haven't even heard of that language. Yeah, it's a common language interesting. in Sri Lanka. Yeah, I know plenty of people there too. You yeah, do? Okay. So I'll, yeah, and he yeah. tried speaking oh, my I, language too, and he couldn't learn anything. I, I speak a language called Tamil, and that one was very hard ooh. for him too. So it's, it's hard. I think mm. the older you are, the harder it is to learn languages. Yes. It's easier <laughs> yeah. if you're a small child. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, so next I have a segment that I like to call Precious Gems. This is where I take comments and um, inspiration from people on just um, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and all of that. And so this week I actually wanted to share a friend of mine on YouTube Karen Test stuff which actually goes back to our conversation earlier. So I love this, awesome. <laughs> yeah. but yeah, she has a great channel and she just hit over a hundred subscribers. So I, you know, <laughs> wanted to congratulate her and show her, um, work and urge everybody to subscribe because she's great. Very cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's get back to, the next uh, point was speaking at events. Another question I get um, a lot, but I wanted to ask you, what was your first experience speaking at an event? Um, my first experience speaking at an event was not a tech event. Uh, it is a concert. So I, I also play Indian classical music on the keyboard. So when I was much younger, maybe when I was 18 or 19, maybe 18, I started performing concerts. So those were my first events where I spoke because I have to introduce myself, tell them what I'm playing, uh, talk about it a few minutes and then just go back to business and play. Uh, so that's my first time getting the spotlight attention, being in an auditorium, talking to people. Um, it was probably harder first, the first few times, but um Maybe after two or three times, I started getting the hang of it. And because at that point, I started viewing myself as, you know, I, I am playing this, you know, I, I don't need to feel shy. And I'm just going to introduce to them what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm going to explain to them what this music is and get going. So I didn't do a lot of speaking. I did a lot more playing. So the speaking was just maybe five minutes, introduce what I'm doing, start playing. If I'm going to another piece, again, 
tell them what it is and keep playing. And playing is easy for me. So it wasn't like daunting or scary. So that was fine. But the first speaking event was probably at a tech conference. It was at uh, KCDC, uh, Kansas City Developer Conference. Um, so that's when I don't, I'm not playing anything. I'm talking about tech. So that was my first experience. And um, I'm not a shy person. So it, it, it wasn't like the shyness, but definitely, you know, any speaker, if you ask them just a few minutes before they get on the stage, they do feel a little bit, you know, butterflies in the stomach and things like that. But it goes away. Maybe after one or two events, I got, I got so used to it. I'm like, okay, when's the next event? I'm going to go speak. Um, that kind of thing. So yeah, it was Kansas City Developer Conference. And I think I spoke about, uh, becoming a social developer. So the topic was also kind of like, okay, I'm going to talk about how to, how to just come out of your shell as a developer and not just, you know, you, once you work for a big company and you're in a team, sometimes you forget the outside world. Um, you just, you, the, the only thing you care about is that code base and what's going on in that company and the team. And the talk was about looking outside of that. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. And I haven't gotten to the point yet where I don't get nervous. Okay. <laughs> I pretty much get nervous before That's completely normal. anything. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's produced and edited and recorded. <laughs> like I'm totally comfortable with doing that at this Which point. Which is a plural, <laughs> plural site. site. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But live stuff, I always felt, you know, like, can I do this? But just do yeah. it. Just Sometimes yeah, it's good absolutely. to do some uncomfortable things, you know, we want to challenge absolutely ourselves. Go outside. Yeah. yeah. Outside of that comfort zone. It's so funny. Um, we're having this conversation because this week I was teaching this poor class. These people were so frustrated. They were main frame, uh, devs this, this whole time hadn't learned anything else. And I had to teach them like visual studio. Okay. They didn't even know how to really use windows, Aww. you know, because they've been on the mainframe sure. this whole time. And I totally knew where they were coming from, that they struggled so much. I felt so bad. I, I was just like this. I had assumed that they had a, a certain proficiency. Right. But, um, yeah, <laughs> but I understand Absolutely. that. And I was really proud of, of everyone who like really, really tried to learn and they were so far out of their comfort zone. <laughs> I could tell. For sure. Yeah. There are some speakers yeah. I've met who told, who've told me that they're actually like introverts and they're very shy, but you don't, you don't sense that when they're talking at, at the stage and they're really great speakers. I'm like, really? Like I, I couldn't tell. So yeah. Yeah. Like I am a introvert extrovert, I guess, if I'm in the right group of people, yeah. I'm an extrovert. Um, but if I have to go to like a wedding with family who aren't tech people and have no idea <laughs> what I do, like that's really, really hard for yeah. me. Yeah. Probably an ambivert. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ambivert that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what the word is. The people are always, you know, pretty surprised to hear I'm, that. I'm struggle somewhat too. like that. I like to go out, meet my friends and everything, but then I also need my space when I'm like, oh, I need to really decompress. Like I'm done. Yeah. 
I need that too. I need to read a book or absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have quality time with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So, um, speaking at, you know, events is a very hard, um, task for a lot of us, but what, um, advice do you have, (laughs) you know, just to get into speaking, how to, I think get over those. Yeah, nerves. I think the first step would be to start small. You can start at like local user groups and smaller meetups. So let's say you're passionate about React or Cypress or any technology, or let it be, you know, outside of tech too. There's always a meetup for these and you can go there. Pre-pandemic, it was much easier. You just go into the meetup app and there's a meetup happening every weekend on something or the other. Um, but now I think a lot of those are virtual and some are coming back, but that's the harder part. But going to a meetup really, you know, helps you meet all these like-minded people and network with them and also see some small talks. And then you can propose giving a lightning talk, like a 10-minute talk and talk about a topic to this group. You know, you already familiarized yourself with this group a little bit because you've been to these meetups and then you can then propose to give a full-blown talk. So that would be like my advice would be like start small and then you can probably apply to a local tech conference uh, depending on where you live. And if you're applying for conferences, let's say you apply for 10 conferences the very first time, guaranteed at least one person's going to pick you. Um, and then going there, traveling there. I think the best tip would be to be really prepared for the first few times. So then you don't have to worry about, you know, feeling nervous or being scared at the last minute. It all comes from preparation. If you're really prepared, you really practiced your talk a few times, then you can ace it. And then once you get a hang of it, you're like, you can be underprepared and still make it up because you are still an expert in that topic you're talking about. So sometimes you can just give a free flow talk and that comes to you eventually. Yeah. Starting small. That is a good uh, tip. My first speaking (laughs) engagement i hosted a conference and i was the keynote wow where was this at it was in rome no way (laughs) so not only did i have to travel to rome i was like the event planner i had planned all of the meals it was that job was ridiculous i mean clearly like i i was doing the work of like and you gave the talk amazing yeah and my boss got Uh-oh. sick, so he sent me all of his slides the night before oh, so- the conference, and so I had to do his part no. too. <laughs> That's definitely not an experience but a lot of people will have. <laughs> no. no, don't yeah. do that. Do what Adina yeah. said. <laughs> like, do a fifteen-minute yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that yeah. helps for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I struggled and people could tell because like, I didn't know my boss's yeah. slides. It was about like the um, budget and stuff yeah. like that. I wasn't in charge of any of that. But I had a group of such supportive people that could tell that I was like trying my hardest. At the end of it, I this is going to make me cry. They stood up and applauded me at them. the end yeah. of it. But, you know, you already got your (laughs) keynote done. Then you had to go down and give other talks later on. Exactly. Yeah, that was crazy. One thing that really helps (laughs) me is uh, having my husband in tech. 
and he's also a speaker. So that really helps each other also, you know, keep us grounded, keep us motivated. So if I'm giving a talk, I would practice in front of him. So I would get feedback right away and he would do the same. And he's the one who actually started speaking first. He asked me to apply to KCDC and we spoke at it together. So that helps too. If you have a friend or spouse who can watch your talk and help you practice, that definitely helps. Yeah, yes, and you get the feedback so early cool. on. Yeah, like, nope, this is bad, you know, it, try right. again and timing it and things like that. Yeah, like cadence, tone, yeah. all, all of that. Too. Somebody other it than you me... giving yourself the feedback before right. the talk helps. Yeah, it has taken me a really long time to like figure out how to talk at conferences and stuff because you as a speaker, you have like a proper yeah. cadence and have to keep it flowing and your tone and all of these are all things I think about while yeah. I'm talking on stage. It's and it really depends on your mood that day too. Like, did you eat breakfast? Do you need another cup of coffee? There's just a lot going on and you have to be the best self for mm -hmm. that one hour. You can't be too fast. You can't be too slow. Um, so yeah, and I usually ask the audience before I start to get um, a little bit of understanding of where they come from. Let's say I give a talk on React Native. I would ask them first, like, are you already React Native developers? Um, you know, like raise your hand. Are you like iOS developers? Are you web developers? Just to get a background. So then I can modify the talk depending on what their background is. If they're already React Native developers and I don't need, to, I could skip some sections and no need to over explain. So that helps to kind of gauging how the audience response would be based on where they come from and what, what they already know for tech talks. Wow. That is such you know. a good tip. Yeah. I'm totally yeah. going to use that. Especially for tech talk. Cause a, a lot talk. of the times I'm thinking they already know this stuff, but they're like coming from a completely different background to that talk. And I'm like, right. okay, I guess I have to explain some things before I get into this. Yeah. That is so yeah. smart. I've, I've never heard that tip before. So thank you. Yeah, but let's talk about your music career. Anybody that listens to this podcast knows I love I love music. I actually in high school, um, in the yearbook, I was best singer. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's, I, I don't think I've talked about that. Um, but what did you? How <laughs> how did you start? And you know the concerts that you play and all of that. I'm just so interested. I know so many tech people who are um, performers as well. And Pluralsight authors, a ton of us, you know, have a either acting or, you know, um, music in general. Anyway, <laughs> how did you start uh, with that? With that, I think I should thank my dad for that. Um, so even as a very small child, he made me listen to a lot of classical music growing up. It was very common in our house to just listen to cla Indian classical music all the time. It was just going on in the background. My mom's cooking, uh, dad's working, I'm studying, but the music is still going on. So that was my very first step as a kid that was constantly going on in our house. Um, and my dad had very, very uh, high passion for music, but he was not a musician. He could, he could identify scales. He knew a lot about music, but he wasn't really a performing artist or anything. So he always wanted me to probably become one and try his best to do that. So he spent 
tons of time with me uh, cultivating that passion for music first by hearing and as a child uh, we had a keyboard um, and uh, I just started playing it one day I was just like you know trying out different things and I had like a keyboard teacher come teach me basic uh, fingering and movements and then one day I started you know trying to replicate what I was hearing you know the classical music just in my own way I was still a kid so I was just trying trying to replicate that and he realized that I, I had I had interest in it. So he started spending time with me. So I didn't have a formal like teacher uh, in the beginning. So for years and years, my father and I would sit down in the evening and just do this, just take the keyboard. And I, I just became a keyboard player just, just by trying, you know, at home by myself without a teacher. And at that time, even Google and things like that, YouTube, these were not common or probably didn't even exist. So it was just listening to either a CD or a cassette and trying to replicate that. And he taught me what he could. And then we started taking notes and I, I just I, I just went into it and that became like my passion. So every day after school, after having my dinner, I would play for like hours and hours, five hours, six hours. And I'm thankful that my dad had that time to spend with me to do that. And eventually, when I grew up a little bit, I uh, I got formally trained by some teachers. I, I I took training from a couple of teachers, so that helped me um, reach a decent state. So I put lots and lots of hours of practice um, into keyboard and learning Indian classical music, in a in a trial and error way, I would say, because I didn't have the formal uh, knowledge. So it was just my dad and me just playing different songs and music and figuring it out together. Um, he learned a lot too in the, in the process. So it was, it was like our family thing. So my mom would come down and sit down and listen to it. So I had very great parents that I'm really thankful for. Uh, if not for them, I probably wouldn't have done any of this. I was just being lazy. Um, but, um, yeah, eventually when I was in college, I started performing concerts, uh, in India. Um, but I also slowly realized that I wasn't going to make a career out of this because music was more of a spiritual experience for me. And I thought of it as really pure, so I didn't want to make any compromises or change anything about it just to make a career out of it. And it was also a long shot to make a career out of Indian classical music, not Bollywood music, right? So there's only a few listeners who may enjoy that music. It takes time. It's it's more of a spiritual experience. So I also liked computer science. So I was like, I'm going to make a career out of this. Um, that's for earning money. And this is for my soul, peace, and my spiritual experience. So that's, that's how it's been. I still practice. I still play. I, I do concerts Good. if people invite me, if they like to. So I don't necessarily want to get paid or if they pay me great, but it's more for my own, you know, soul passion. I do want to trans transition and teach my daughter this and try to do at least 10% of what my parents did for me. So I don't want that you know, uh, thing to go away. That's one thing I can teach her. Uh, she can learn other things in school. Um, so yeah, it's it's more for my own personal passion, and it keeps me grounded, keeps me calm, brings peace in me. So yeah, music's helped me a lot. Yeah, it is a stress reliever Definitely. for sure. Just to play something and just absolutely. relax and vibe, as the kids yeah, would say. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, and it's it's great. It's uh, I feel it gives a good. You know, it's easier than meditation. Like if you put me in a room and ask me to meditate, it's hard. How, what, do, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah, so but hard. this is also meditation, but you're actually like doing something. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it's creative yes. as well because as devs we you know coding is highly logical yes. and um organized and all of that whereas music can be whatever yes. you it's want it's a complete you know opposite spectrum yeah but right but I enjoy it's it. so funny yeah. how mm -hmm. i have so many people on the show that just ha have this talent that i never knew That's awesome. absolutely and yeah i have this idea okay for object oriented opera <laughs> so if you're interested in collaborating with me on that for i could sure. certainly yeah. use some background be awesome. <laughs> instruments because yeah i don't i yeah i'm a singer i'm not a composer so like yeah i'll um i'll have to look into that but yeah it's just that to combine programming and music and i love yeah. opera that's you know that's what i listen to that's most awesome. of the time i feel like in evil genius <laughs> sitting here coding and listening to opera yeah, i definitely need music in the background that's when i'm coding yeah i yes. really need that yes it absolutely helps yeah so um what advice would you have for anyone who is interested in a tech career um so I did it the traditional way. I went to college. I, I learned it in high school. Then I went through the four years of engineering program. Then I did my master's. But I don't know if that advice is still valid anymore. A lot of the smart people I'm working with these days just go to like boot camp. So they do like a one-year program and they're, they're really good. So specifically with coding, it's not like physics or math or other careers, right? You could still be a great programmer without going to college or going to college and learning something else and then changing careers into tech. A lot of people do that. So I'm not sure the traditional advice is still valid. It's great if you could go to college and learn computer science. I still recommend that uh, because I do think I learned a lot from those professors and, you know, the overall fundamentals of computer science, uh, I still learned it in college, but I don't know if that's still necessary or not. It really depends. But if somebody wants to change into tech careers, let's say they completely studied something else and they want to get into tech, it's still totally valid. You could go to coding boot camps and so on. Um, so if you're starting into tech, I would pick what you, you know, what you want to do. Do you want to build a web app? Do you want to build a mobile app? And then find the best place to learn, you know, start to finish how to do that. Um, if you're doing the non-traditional way, even if you go to college, you're not going to learn anything that you're doing at work in college, right? So I learned completely different languages, but I still think all of those paradigms like object-oriented programming or all of those design patterns, I still use them. I still know them and I probably use them. So it's... It really depends where you're at in life and career. Um, you don't always need a degree, but if you have a computer science degree, it, it helps. Definitely it helped me. Um, so I would say wherever you are at, um, learn the fundamentals very well. Um, and everything needs hard work. It's nothing is easy, you know. So as long as you follow your, yeah. your goal, you set your goal and you can get there. Yeah, I I always feel bad because there are so many um, 
kids I know who are just like, you are such a good programmer. Like I would, I would love to get into that. And then they try and they're like, oh, this yeah, is really everything hard. comes with hard work. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, my daughter, she's five year yeah. old. She's starting to learn to read. She would read a few words and then she's like, you know what? Reading is hard. Can you just read this for me? I'm like, sure, but can we try a little bit more? You know, sometimes we need somebody to push us to, um, and then mm -hmm. now she can read a little bit better. She's like, I guess I can actually read this now. I don't need you. So it just takes practice and yeah, help. Her. Yeah. Hard. <laughs> exactly. Well, I could talk to you all day <laughs> about everything that we've talked about, especially music. Whenever, whenever anyone comes on, I, I just get so excited about that topic because it's rare. But yeah, um, before I let you go, can you um, tell us where people can connect with you and promote Absolutely. your work? So I'm active on Twitter at Aditi Ravi, A-D-H-I-T-H-I-R-A-V-I. If you have questions, want to reach out or connect, definitely reach out there. I have a blog on Medium. So uh, on my Twitter account, if you click on it, you can see I blog often. Um, you can read my articles there. And you can look for me, Aditi Ravichandran, on Pluralsight. Um, if you have Pluralsight access, you can watch all of my courses there. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I ha I'm online in different areas, LinkedIn, Twitter, Medium. So reach out if you need me or um, want on tips. I just want to say hi for sure. Awesome. And of course I will have links to all of that in the, um, description or the show notes. Aditi, thank you so, so much for being here. This was yeah, thank really you. fun. Thank you so much, Shelly. And thanks for doing this. And I wish I wore a tiara. We actually have a lot of tiaras at home. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was great yeah. talking to you and finally seeing you in person, I guess, in, in person yes. through the computer. <laughs> yeah, sort of in person anyway. Right. Thank you <laughs> Thank so much. You. Yeah. If you want to support us, please like, subscribe, and share this episode with your fellow gems. Let me know in the comments what other topics you would like me to cover and follow TRs in Tech on social media and use the hashtag MakeYourselfShine. Thanks for watching or listening and have a great day.